0: My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Well, we are continuing on. We are in week three um, of our parables study. And so if you guys want to turn to Matthew chapter 20, that is where we are going to be today. Um, How many of you guys are professionals uh, in the uh, that's not fair game? Is anybody a professional at that? Um, I have learned to be pretty good uh, at the About pointing out things that are fair and things that are unfair Um, and we should be pretty good at it because we've had lots of practice over the years. Um, I told you guys last week, or actually it was two weeks ago I guess, uh, is whenever we were actually meeting, but I told you guys two weeks ago that if I could write a book about being a dad of a teenage boy, uh, it would be called what? That's the least you can do, right? That's the least you can do. Now, of course, we were talking about, um, you know, uh, Peter asking how, you know, what's the, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And Jesus is like, look, no, like, I know you're thinking you're being generous with that many, but I'm telling you with saying seven, but I'm telling you that's the least you can do. All right. So you're going to have to forgive uh, all the time because you've been forgiven, right? Well, if I could write a book based on what it's like to be a dad of two kids, I think the title of that book would be called It's Not Fair, because that's what we hear about 725,000 times a week, is it's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair that they got to do, it's not fair that they got to do that. Like my kids, they keep score like nobody's business. Like I don't understand even how they are so good at keeping score about stuff, and it's stuff that's dumb like it's dumb stuff and I have to keep telling them all the time this is dumb like I tell I say those words from my mouth this is dumb why are we keeping score why are we fighting over things that are so dumb because I it could be Like we, we like sweet tea in our house. I don't know, you know, like we're from the South and so we like sweet tea. And so we make sweet tea and our kids love sweet tea. And so we will have a gallon of sweet tea that is out on the counter. And if there is just enough for one glass left, one child will inevitably say, please, or they won't say, please, I'll be like, I call that last glass of sweet tea. Right. And then the other one will automatically pipe up. That's not fair. That is not fair. And I'm like, why is that not fair? They straight called it. Like that, that to me is a fair thing, right? But then they're like, no, let's half it. And it's like, well, there's not enough to really half it. We can't do that. That's not fair. Then we don't get nothing. So you know what dad does? Dad's like, I'll take the last glass of sweet tea. That's, that's fair. All right. We'll do it that way. But they keep record because they'll even say stuff like, but he got the last glass of sweet. I'm like, you really? Like, you guys remember these kinds of things? Like, we'll tell our kids, we'll say, hey, look, uh, you, go take a shower. I took my shower first last time. So what? <laughs> go get in the shower. It's like, what? why is everything a competition? Why, is ev- why does everything have to be uh, it's a fair or not fair game? And honestly they actually really it's actually impressive because or sort of like this is what i don't understand they don't remember what they had for breakfast but yet when we get in the car for a road trip they remember who picked the last song i mean it could be three years later and they'll be like no the last road trip we took no the last road trip we took was 2020. yeah i know but i was like i remember he picked the last song when we were, when we were rolling up to the house, he got picked the last song. Oh, oh, uh, how, how? Like, how? Like, and now they have no excuse in school for not remembering anything. If you can remember who picked the last song. But man, we grew up, like, I had a brother growing up. We, I played the It's Not Fair game, right? We all play the It's Not Fair game and then we all take it into adulthood, right? Because now if we, don't have some, we don't just have our sibling to go against, we've got the rest of the world to go against now, right? And so we, we look at everybody and we're like, oh, well, I'm good at picking out that that's not fair. I am so good at picking out what is fair and what is not fair. And today, what we're going to look at um, in the parable that Jesus is going to talk about is, is Peter— uh, he kind of starts to, um, well, Peter, this is what's sad about Peter. It seems like every time he opens his mouth, Jesus is like, I've got a parable. Like that seems to be kind of what's going on because last week, you know, Peter asked a question and he was like, Hey, how many times do I got to forgive? And Jesus is like, well, well, let me tell you a story. Right. And then, and then this week, the same thing is going to happen. Peter is going to open his mouth and uh, Jesus is going to have to tell a story. And I would hate to be the person that every time I told a story, or every time I opened my mouth, Jesus is like, let me fix that. Let me tell the story. But that's what's going to happen, all right? And so uh, let's check this out. You guys, you guys saw the question, what Jordan read a little bit earlier. Let's bring that passage back up. I think it's the first one. Is uh, Yeah, this is what his question is. Peter looks at Jesus after this whole... You know, thing that goes down and says, "What then? uh, What then will we have?" That's his question, and Jesus is like, "Let me tell you a story." So let me give you guys some backstory to this. There is a rich young ruler that shows up in front of Jesus, and he's like, "Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, how can I go to heaven whenever I die?" And Jesus knows the heart of this guy. He's know he knows that he's rich. He knows that uh, he he loves his wealth, and so Jesus kind of says a couple things, and then he gets to the heart of the issue, and he says. I want you to go and sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. Because Jesus knew that this guy valued wealth more than he valued eternal life. And you can't come to Christ if you value anything over Jesus, because you, you, when you come to Christ, you've got to repent of sin. And if you have, if you, if there is sin that you're unwilling to repent of, then that's not a repentant heart that is able to, to come to Christ. And so this guy is like, the Bible actually says, Jesus says, hey, you want, you're going to go sell everything, everything that you have. And this is the guy walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And then the disciples are standing there and they're just like, whoa, what just happened? Right? And so, and so, you know, Jesus is like, hey, look, this guy, it's, it's harder for this guy to get into a heaven, to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's harder for that to happen. And the disciples look around, they're like, well, then who in the world can get to heaven? And then Jesus says something very important. He says, well, actually with man, it's impossible but with God, everything is possible. So Jesus is saying, but with God, this rich person can get into heaven. He's not gonna be able to do it on his own. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but with God, this guy can get to heaven. And so here's what Peter says. The very next thing Peter says in reply to Jesus saying, with God, this is actually possible. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you what then will we have? So what Peter is asking right here is is basically what he hears is he he hears Jesus say about this rich person, hey, it's possible that this guy is going to get into heaven. And Peter is standing there and he's going, hold on a second. Like if it's possible for someone who rejects Jesus and loves their money more, if it's possible for them to later come to know Jesus and they're going to get the reward of heaven. Well, then Jesus, if we left everything to follow you, what are we going to get? Right? He's like, man, like if that gift is going to be what they get, I can't imagine what's waiting for me, Jesus. Like what, what's, what's waiting for me? And Jesus then proceeds to tell them about some, you know, things that they're going to receive, some different rewards that they're going to, you know, receive in heaven and things like that. But he's basically telling them, no, no, your reward is the same. Like you're going to inherit heaven, he's going to inherit heaven. And and actually, it's kind of interesting uh, because because Peter, I love I love kind of how God's kingdom works because it's different than than the kingdom that, that we've built. But, but Jesus, but Peter, he, he kind of looks at Jesus for a second and he kind of thinks for a moment, well, I can't receive the same thing because that wouldn't be what? Fair, right? Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't be fair. So there's got to be more for me. Jesus, tell me what, tell me what more there is going to be. And so Jesus proceeds to basically say, Peter, there's going to be rewards in heaven for all those that have sacrificed for my sake. But those who consider themselves great will be last. And those who consider themselves last will be great. Why would he say that? It's because the kingdom of God works different than the one we've built. The people that we place in importance, the people that the world places in importance By the way, for reasons that we put in place, all right, like we're like, you're important. Why? Mm, Because of reasons we made up. Like that's why you're going to be important, like fame and wealth, you know, and influence, all of those things that, you know, are prestigious here on earth. They'll get you into the after parties and they'll get you into the clubs. They'll get you into all the places and people will hold you high up. Uh, those things aren't necessarily prestigious in the kingdom of God. Those are things that are only prestigious here. And the things that aren't prestigious here, like godliness. We talked about this on Wednesday night, whenever Trevor was going through Isaiah, the things that aren't prestigious here, godliness, righteousness, holiness, humility, meekness. The world is not going, they are godly. Let's hold them up. Let's see what they have to say. The world doesn't care about that kind of stuff. That stuff is not what the world holds as prestigious, yet it is in heaven. But here's what's ironic in Peter's statement. In this statement of what then will we have, Peter is actually acting more like the rich young ruler than the person who's supposed to be humble about things. He's actually acting more like the rich young. Jesus says, the greatest here will be last, and the last here will be greatest. And Peter, right now, your words reveal that you consider yourself greatest in the realm of the least. It's kind of funny, actually, because Peter's like, I'm a pretty big deal at being not a big deal. Do you catch that? Do you catch what he's saying right there? He's like, we have left everything and followed you. Like, if you've ever heard somebody be like, I'm the best at being humble. Like, that's sort of what he's saying right here, right? Like, this is what he's saying. He's like, well, if we've done all this and what are we going to happen? And he's like, no, oh, no, 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 Peter, Peter. Who's, who is least here is going to be the most there. Who is most here is going to be the least here. And I'm sure Peter's standing around going, yeah, that rich guy that just walked away, he's going to end up being the least, right? No, no, Peter, let me tell you a story, all right? And so Jesus is going to go into this parable. And Peter is just going to kind of be kind of, kind of called out on some stuff. But here's the thing. As Peter is called out. All right. I'll just speak about myself. I got called out while I was studying it. And chances are, I have a feeling that you guys are going to get called out as well on some stuff. It happened last time. All right. Whenever Jesus told the story and we're like, get him, Jesus, Peter needs a heart change. And then we walked out going, oh man, like I need a heart change. Well, same thing right now. It's like, get him, Peter, or get him, get him, Jesus. He needs a heart change. Uh, Well, it turns out we, we might need one as well. All right. Um, Because here's the question. Have you ever been guilty of having kind of that what? what then will we have mentality my guess i know that i have my guess is that we probably have have you ever looked at what you've been given looked at what someone else has been given and said god that's not fair that's not fair god if so then what i want us to do is allow this scripture just like two weeks ago, to free you from this mentality that's honestly incredibly burdensome. To have to walk around and to compare and to have to walk around and and see what others have and and just to go, that's not fair. I should have that because I do this. And that is not a very fun way to walk around life. It's not because it actually just keeps you wanting and wanting and that ends up being your drive in life is just gaining these things that you wish you had. And it's a very burdensome way to live. And and this scripture, through this parable, Jesus is trying to free Peter from having that mindset. And he's gonna free us from having that mindset as well. It's been a joy to study this and it's gonna be a joy, I think, to deliver it. And I hope that I do it well, but let's dive into this, all right? So Matthew chapter 20, verse one. This is where the story comes into play. So let's look at verse one. It says this. This is Jesus's beginning to the story. All right, Peter. All right. For the kingdom of heaven is like, all right. So he's like, when when you picture this in your mind, compare this with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. All right. So if the parable is what the kingdom of heaven is like, who do you think the master represents? God. Yeah, that's exactly correct. It is God. It is God. All right, so Jesus kind of paints this picture, all right, of a master who needs a day laborer uh, as he goes into his vineyard. Now, I want to get you guys a little bit into context because I want you guys to hear this, again, like they were hearing this, okay? Like, I want you to feel kind of what they felt. We're not going to be able to do that totally because we are extremely removed. I don't talk to anyone ever who was like, just got back in from the vineyard. Like, I've never met that person, all right? But this is kind of what happens. Like this is a very, very strenuous job. And so Jesus tells them the story, all right? He's like, I want you to picture, all right, the master of a house who owns a vineyard. He's going to need some work for the day. And what he did is he went out early in the morning, okay? Early in the morning back then was about 6 a.m. Okay, that's whenever you started the day. So actually he left a little bit earlier because the day actually starts at six because he's gonna go out and he's gonna try and find some people to work in the vineyard, all right? And uh, and so what we already read in verse two is after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So what I want you to picture are these guys who are, standing around and they are desperate for work. All right. There were people back then that they didn't have a job. They didn't have a nine to five. They didn't wake up in the morning going, let's get to work. They didn't have that security. And so what they would do is they would stand outside and they would say, hopefully someone comes by today that needs some help. And hopefully they will hire us so that we can have provisions for our families, so that we can be provided for, you know, for food or whatever. Like we got to, pay these bills, whatever bills they have to pay, they're like, hopefully someone will come along and hire us. And so you get the picture of this guy who shows up and these guys that have been standing around waiting in desperation for somebody just to hire them. And this guy shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And so they start, you know, talking about a price and and you can imagine these guys standing there and he's like, look, how about a, a denarius for the, for the entire day, which was actually pretty good pay. It's what you would pay a common laborer, but some of these guys that were standing around would be taken advantage of, and they would not be given a full day's wage, like a denarius. They would be given something less. I mean, imagine yourself being there, right? If there were no like labor laws or anything, and you're trying to get a job done for as least as possible so that your overhead could be more so that you could make more money. You would want to show up and you'd be like, uh, what do you guys agree to? I want you to work for the least amount that I have to give you. But this guy shows up and he's like, look, how about a denarius? And everybody's like, okay, cool. Like that's pretty much what, it, what a common laborer would make. And it was something that was very nice for them to actually make. And, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but if you were going to work a 12 hour day, one denarius would equal roughly in today's society, if we want to take our, you know, minimum wage of $15, like we did last time, um, about $180. So like these guys were going we're like, we're in like you, you're going to pay us $180 and, and we're going to go work in your vineyard for the day. Sweet. We're in. They were secure. They hop in whatever they had, or maybe it was a donkey. I don't know what they, they're like, let's go. Right. It ain't a truck. They ain't hopping in a truck. But they're like, all right, let's go. And so so they take off and they head to the vineyard and they're there and they start working, all right? And so I want you guys to understand kind of what it felt like for them and then also kind of what it would feel like for the rest of this story, all right? So the disciples hearing this are like, cool, what a nice guy, what a nice master. This is gonna be awesome. And then verse three through four, it says this, in going out about the third hour, okay, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the master's back out. Okay, and he sees these people and they're standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. And these people who he met at the third hour, which is approximately what time do you think? If it starts at six, what's the third hour? Nine o'clock. All right, so nine o'clock in the morning. And they're standing around in the marketplace and he's like, I'll give you what, what, what is right. And they're like, sweet. And so they're in. So you've got these other guys who've already been working there three days, or I mean three hours. And you've got these other guys that kind of show up and they're probably like, oh, sweet. We got some more help. All right, cool. So everybody's kind of showing up right now. All right. And then you got verse five through eight. So they went. And then going out again about the sixth hour, this guy needs a lot of help. He's like looking at all these people and he's like, I need some more help. And so going out again about the sixth hour, which would be what time you think? 12 o'clock. And the ninth hour, which is what time? Three o'clock. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour, which would be what? Five o'clock. The day shuts down at six, by the way. The eleventh hour, five o'clock. He went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because nobody has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, okay, it's about six o'clock, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. Okay, Jesus has just set the stage. All right? Like, this has just all been a setup. Like from verse one all the way until this verse, like for verse eight, it's just been a setup. And all the disciples are probably sitting around and Peter's probably sitting around and they're just like, this is great. Everybody's gonna get paid. Wonder what they're gonna get paid. This is gonna be good, right? And so let's see what happens. They're probably thinking, well, if this guy's getting, if these guys who work 12 hours are getting a denarius, it's probably gonna be a lot less for these other guys, right? Oh no, oh no, no. Jesus turns it. Verse nine, here's here's what happens with the foreman. And when those hired... About the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. What? Each of them received a denarius. The 11th, how long these people have been working? One hour. They've been working for one hour and the foreman's like, here's a denarius. Look, at this point in the story, if you're Peter, if you're you, right? Like if you're just you, you're go, your mind is automatically going, man, if they're going to get a full day's wage, if they're going to get $180 for working one hour, what in the world is he going to give these other people? Right? Because why? It's only fair. It's only fair that they're going to make some more money, Right? We're all thinking, oh, then what will, you know, that same question Peter had earlier. What then will they have? I mean, let's do the math here for a second. All right. In our today, in today, like, because I just, I love doing the math on stuff. Because I'm like, all right, what should everybody make? Like, if these guys who worked one hour get $180, and we all are wondering, some of us have our calculators <laughs> out right now. and We're like, what's happening? Then, then if, I mean, if it continues in this way, the people hired at three, if the people hired at, 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 at five got 180, the people hired at three should get about $540. Yeah, that'd be sweet. The people hired at 12, they should get $1,080. The people hired at nine o'clock should get $1,620. And the people who were hired at 12 o'clock, if the people that worked one hour got $180, all right, then the people who worked for 12 hours, if it's only fair, should get $2,160. That is a pretty sweet payment for a day work. All right. That is pretty awesome. So let's see what happens. Verse 10 through 12. Now, when those hired first came, what'd they think? They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And I'm sure Peter's sitting here going, that's not fair. That is not fair. And because, right, no, aren't we? Aren't we sitting here going, hold up. That's not really fair. I don't get it. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Guess who's getting exposed right now? Peter. All right. He's talking about Peter right now. Like, and us as well. All right. If we, have, if we sat there and went, no, that's not fair. Then he's talking about us as well. All right. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, there, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Jesus has just called out Peter and he called out me (laughs) in the same breath. Now, that's a hard truth. Are we ready for some heart correction? because we need it. I needed it. I still need it. Here's some heart correction, verse 13, but this is what Jesus replied to one of them. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Wow. Listen to, listen to, listen to basically what's going on here. He's basically saying, Peter, Well, he's he's telling the people that are working there. He's like, look, when I first hired you, when I first came to you, I said, how about a denarius? And all of you were like, please and thank you. So am I doing you wrong by giving you what you agreed upon? And, And I know that what he's really trying to get across to Peter is, hey, Peter, when I called you to follow me, at the exact moment that I called you. You you saw me for who I was, Peter. The moment I asked you to put down your nets and follow me because I will make you a fisher of men, you did it. You did that. And did you not agree with me for the reward and life that I offered? The truth is, yeah. Yeah, Peter agreed. Whenever he came to know Christ, like whenever he started following Jesus, he was like, I'm in. He's like, Peter, your question might have come off inquisitive to everyone else around you, but I hear the grumbling in your heart. I hear the discontentment with what you have. And that is not coming from a pure heart, but rather a selfish heart, Peter, one that is self-seeking rather than gospel-centered, one that is self-elevating rather than God-honoring. I hear how you don't think things are fair and this, that this man can receive the same reward for doing one hour of work. Compared to your whole life, Peter, of blood, sweat, and tears. And Peter, you just heard me say that this man can receive the same reward that you are going to receive. For doing a lot, for experiencing a lot, for putting less sweat into it. For putting less of your life into it. But listen to what he says. But I've not done anything wrong to you. I've not done a thing wrong to you, Peter, not one thing. I've been true to my word. And do we not identify once again with Peter in the story? I hate that we always have to identify with Peter because he's the one that's always getting in trouble. Like we got to identify with him. But we do thinking that because life, listen, sometimes we think because life is going a certain way that God is doing wrong by us. Have you ever been guilty of thinking that? I have. I mean, let's just shoot straight for a second, right? Like I've been guilty of of something going on in my life and going, God, that's not fair. That's not okay. Like I actually think that you are wronging me, right? So many people walk away from fellowship with the Lord because something didn't go the way that they wanted it to. Something they thought should have happened. Something didn't seem fair to them. They lost a job. They can't find a job. They are struggling to make ends meet. These are all very real things. A relationship didn't work out. Some sort of traumatic event that they feel like God should have protected them from, right? You saw your life going away that you wanted it to go, but God doesn't seem to want to honor the way you thought things should go. But let me tell you what's true because what's what's not true is that you're being wronged by God. That's not true. Let me tell you what is true. In those moments when you think God is being unfair, ask yourself, is God being untrue to his word? Is God being untrue to his word? Is he actually doing me wrong? Or is it just a false momentary perception of wrong. Because here's, here's something that you can write down. Is it not possible for God to go back on his word? It's not, right? It is not possible for God to go back on his word, but it is possible for us to be misinformed of his word. It is not possible for God to go back on his word, but it is very, very possible for us to be misinformed about his word. Whenever we think wrongly about his word, then we can think that he's wronged us. But whenever we, are, whenever we look into his word and we know his word and we're not misinformed about it, then what we discover is that yeah, some things, that are, gonna hap- some things are gonna happen in life and they're not, they're not gonna be all roses. Like there's going to be some tough things, but we don't walk away from God. Why? Because that's not a life God promised us. He didn't promise us a life of roses. And so we don't think things aren't fair, but we we can. We can a lot of times. And I know a lot of people uh, who are no longer walking with the Lord because of something that's happened in their lives. And, And they're like, I feel like God wronged me. He let me down. And I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not about that. And it's like, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew that what you believed to begin with was wrong, that it wasn't ever God that wronged you, but it was what you believed at the beginning was wrong about God, which it makes total sense. It really does. So we've gotta, we've gotta, we've gotta be informed of his word correctly. And then in verse 14 to 15, he says this, so take what belongs to you, what I, what I promised you and go, all right? He says, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you, am I, not, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You see, he's still talking about this person in the vineyard, but he's really talking about Peter. He's really talking about me. He's really talking about all of us in the room. There's a couple of things that I see because he's like, Peter, I chose you to follow me at a certain point in time. And I'll choose to call someone else at another time. How can you begrudge my generosity? Two things I see, one quick thing I see here is the fact that Peter, and this is something that I often, often fail to do as well. Peter is failing to see the incredibly simple yet amazing reward that is following Jesus all the days of your life. <laughs> that is a reward in itself. Yeah, heaven is a reward, but an awesome reward as a follower of Jesus, is having the opportunity to walk with Jesus. Like, I've never met someone who is a genuine believer, who is a genuine born-again Christian, who is walking with the Lord, has the Holy Spirit. I've never met that person that was like, man, I wish I could have just lived in sin a little longer before coming to know Christ. That would have been awesome. And on the other hand, I've never met met someone who came to Christ later in life who was like, man, I'm glad I got to live it up before coming to know Jesus. No, in fact, I've only met people who have come to Christ later in life who have said, if only I could have known this when I was a kid. If only I could have known this whenever I was younger. If I could have just had an entire lifetime of walking with Jesus. What a blessing that would have been, what a reward that would have been. You see this guy who's gonna come to know Christ, it's actually not a a gain that he's gonna come to know him later. It's a gain that Peter's had the opportunity to walk with him the entire time. And I'm pretty sure that the thief that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, I'm pretty sure he wasn't hanging there going, sweet. I got to live this incredibly sinful life. And then I just got to say these magic words of, hey, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus was like, you'll be with me in paradise. See, that wasn't the attitude of the thief on the cross. The attitude of the thief on the cross was complete humility and repentance. And I guarantee that that thief would, I guarantee that the life of that thief was probably full of, of heartbreak, regret, sorrow, all of these things. And I'll bet anything that that thief would have loved to have traded places with Peter. He, see, he didn't get to live a blessed life. He gets a reward, but he didn't get the reward of living with Jesus. He didn't get the reward of walking with Jesus. Do we consider this life that we walk with Christ as an amazing reward, as a gift. And here's one more thing that I see in this, something that was really convicting to me. That word translated begrudge, if it's up there. Yeah, he says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Um, that word is, is actually an idiom uh, that was used in that time. You guys know what idioms are, right? Like it's raining cats and dogs. Is it really raining cats? No, it's an idiom that we use. And if you go to another country and you say, it's raining cats and dogs, they will look at you like you are an idiot. All right. Because it doesn't make sense whenever you go somewhere else. Okay, Uh, but it was an idiom. And so it's been translated, you know, in our language uh, to to the word begrudge um, or whatever else you have in your translations. But the literal translation of that word is is like if we were going to read it as it was written, it would say, or do you have an evil eye? So basically he's like, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you have an evil eye? If it said that, we would have all read our Bibles and we'd all have been like, Pfft, I don't know what that means. Like, then we would just kept going, right? So they translated it begrudge because we understand this, but that, that was an idiom that meant someone had a feeling of jealousy and resentment because of what someone else had. So that's what that meant. Jealousy and resentment because of what someone else has or does. He's saying, Peter, are you going to be jealous of and resent me because of the generosity that I have shown to someone else? Is that really where your heart is going to be? And this, here's something that 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 statement made me realize as I sat here and just meditated on this scripture and just thought about this scripture. Here's something that just, popped into my brain, which is so good and so true, I've checked it with scripture, is this statement right here, and I'll put it on the screen. The more we envy the generosity God shows someone else, the more we belittle the generosity he's shown us. The more we belittle, that's what's happened to Peter. That's what's happened to him. If you remember in the story at first, right, whenever you're talking about the the hired guys, they were just happy to get hired. They weren't complaining about the pay. They actually thought it was a blessing whenever they first got hired, right? The generosity of the master was actually praised and appreciated. And I can just picture them working hard with the satisfaction and joy of knowing that they were going to walk away able to provide for their family and able to pay the bills. And the cost was just a day's work. That's it. It was menial. Why? Because the reward was so great. They didn't walk out into the field going, oh, we're only going to make this today, but we got to do all this today. No, they were like, all we got to do is this today and we're going to make that today. Sweet, right? That's, but, but something now all of a sudden made that great reward small. Something they thought was a great reward, it made it small. And when Peter came to Christ, I'm sure he was ecstatic to have personally been invited to follow the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for generations prior. I'm sure he was ecstatic about it. And he was like, man, I'm gonna, this is him. This is the Messiah. I'm going to follow the Messiah. This is amazing. This is eternal life. Like this is all these things that he's saying. I'm in, I want this. This is what I want. And the cost that Peter saw ahead of him was menial compared to the reward that he knew that he was going to get. But now something was making that great and sufficient reward seem insufficient in Peter's eyes. And here's what that something is. And here's something that will destroy contentment. Comparison. Comparison will destroy Contentment. Comparison, here's one for your notes. Comparison brings contempt and will leave us feeling discontent. That's what comparison has done in the life of Peter. That's what it did in the parable as well. And it's going to leave us, comparison will leave us begrudging God's generosity. Let me put it another way on the screen for you right here. Contentment will glorify God's reward and it will diminish the cost, but comparison will diminish God's reward and it will glorify the cost. That's what happened. That's what I see because Peter was focused on the reward. But then something happened and that reward was diminished and now Peter's focus was on the cost. Isn't that what he said? Whenever he said, what then will we have? Have we not, have we not given everything? Have we not left our lives? Have we not sacrificed everything so that we can come to follow you, Jesus? Well, well, if they're going to receive heaven then what more am I going to receive? What then am I going to receive? Now he was focused on the cost. The reward was no longer great to the workers. It was no longer great to Peter. And it was all because of comparison. What causes us to cry, that's not fair to our parents whenever we're kids? Comparison. What causes us to cry, that's not fair in the face of our parents' generosity? Comparison. What causes us to cry, that's not fair as adults in the face of God's generosity comparison? It's just that our siblings grew. We, like, I have one, like, sibling, sibling, but I got thousands of siblings. Because I look out here at all of you guys. What will make me not appreciate the generosity God has shown me is if I start looking at the generosity that he's shown you, and I like it a little bit better, I'm going to be focused on the work that I've put in instead of the reward that I'm going to receive. We've got to stop. We have got to stop looking over at our neighbor, seeing what they have, and asking, well, what then am I going to have? Let's stop comparing with others on social media. Hello? (laughs) Hello? guys, for real, this, that, that is like a breeding ground for contempt. Okay. Like just letting you know, everybody posts everything that's good in their life. Nobody ever, like, this is how we want people to perceive us. All these blessings that we have, all the good things that are going on in life. Nobody, you don't walk into somebody's house and nobody has a picture on their mantle of their family fighting. Okay. That's not there. All right. Like what's there is the smiles, why? Because that's how they want you to perceive them on social media. If you look and you look at their life that you think is going so well, and you look at all the things that they have, and you're like, well, God, if I've given my whole life for this, like I'm, I'm looking out at these, at these people and I know what sacrifices I have made, and I know they've been more than what they've done, right? <laughs> we can say that. I know my sacrifices have been greater than, than what they've given. If they're, if they're getting all that, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? Man, we got to stop, stop looking over and comparing um, how little they seem to sacrifice and how little we have and how much we seem to sacrifice. All we're doing is belittling God's generosity in our own lives and belittling his reward, all right? And here's the, here's the truth. If you want to compare yourself to someone, if you just got to compare yourself to someone, you're going to be way healthier just comparing yourself to Jesus. All right? Not not all these other people, okay? Compare yourself to Jesus. And I promise if we constantly compare ourselves to him, we will never look at what God has given us and say, that's not fair. Ever. We will never say that instead we will continually say god thank you for not giving me what was fair we don't want what's fair trust me all right we can cry about what's fair you don't want what was fair you do not want that instead we want what's not fair because fair would have been us paying for our sins but we don't have to and there's no greater reward than that and there is no cost too great in this lifetime as we await that reward. Guys, remember that. There is no cost too great for the reward that we're gonna receive. We have the the reward of walking with Christ in this life. And we have the reward of eternal glory with him. What more do we want? There's nothing more that we should want, right? So may we always have nothing but gratitude towards the amazing grace that God has shown us. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.